Coming up in this episode of Finding Common Ground. He said, when I was a young boy, my father would put a gun to my head. And that, that temperature thing looks like a gun. And I'm traumatized. Um, when we look at the fact that there's 30 million plus children living in violent homes right now across the United States, I mean, the statistics are much higher than we would want to think about. How do we make sure that trained individuals who may not have had the experience of ever being poor before, they mistake neglect for poverty? There are two sides to every coin. How do we deal with racial issues when they affect relationships? Finding common ground on all those issues that we come against. There's black and there's white. And I think as Christians, we have to learn how to get together because we're not in heaven. I've met more interesting people just by God just bringing them in. Republicans and Democrats. But a lot of times when it comes to race and it comes to culture and it comes to perception, even as Christians, we don't always understand. We look at it through our lenses. There's Bill. I grew up in a suburb of Cleveland called Parma. Uh, Any black the, people in Parma? There was not one. Not one black person, not Bill? Not one. Come not on, Bill, one. you got to have one, a nope. token black person, a token. And there's Odell. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, public housing, single mom, divorced single mom with four kids, and I came up through segregation and all that kind of stuff. If a black person drove through the town, the police would stop and escort them out. Bill and Odell are finding common ground. A part of what we have to do is listen to each other, find the common ground, and question, not questioning you like you're on a witness stand, but questioning you for a better understanding. Father God, we just say thank you for all your grace and mercy. God, as we run around doing all these things that we feel are so important, we just ask for your forgiveness, God, that sometime we put things ahead of you so God, please continue to slow us down. Please continue to allow us to reflect on the things that's important, family, faith. God, just thank you for giving all of us an opportunity to have a second chance. Thank you for blessing us. Thank you for making our tough places smooth. And we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' precious name, we pray and believe. Amen. 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 Dear Heavenly Father, we just lift up today. It's a beautiful day here in North Carolina, sunny and 70 degrees, uh, a Chamber of Commerce Day. Uh, we lift up our, our guest today, Kelly Graves and the Kellen Foundation that she's started from nothing and is now turned into a powerhouse for uh, youth resilience and teaching people about youth resilience and ACEs and training people. And uh, we just thank you for her, her ministry and her service. And we ask that uh, you continue to bless her and her foundation as they move forward. Amen. Amen. So, Bill, you have an individual who started from nothing. That got my attention more than anything else because I've done that with a, a nonprofit. You've done that with businesses. And folks don't know how it is. A lot of people don't know how it is to go to bed thinking about something, dreaming about it, wake up thinking about something, and just popping out of bed like toast out of a toaster, excited about building something and you're chasing a vision you're chasing a vision and for many of us it's a vision that god gave us so it's like how do you explain to your family and your friends that i quit a good paying job a safe job opportunities to go chase this thing that mm -hmm. god gave me and other people like i don't see it it don't make sense i had families and friends that i don't believe why would you quit a good corporate job and doing this welfare reform thing 
And the hard part about it, Bill, is how do you explain to those who love and care for you to say, why are you doing this? I just don't see it. Yeah, it's a tough one. You know, uh, it's Dr. Kelly Graves, by the way. I, I left the doctor off. She could have gone in, in education and other areas. So, you know, for her to give up those those kind of jobs and to basically start for nothing. You know, we all of three of us have started stuff from nothing. And it's those, you know, it's those nights you lay in bed and you can't go to sleep because your brain won't shut off. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I got to get some sleep because I got a full day tomorrow and I got to, I got to be ready for it. And, uh, but God gives you the strength. And, you know, the other thing is uh, when I find it, you get pushed into these things. Uh, it wasn't something you were asking for necessarily, but right. God, God opens up the doors and, uh, and sometimes you just peek your head in a little and go, no, nah, I don't know if I'm going to go in that one. And then other times he pushes you in <laughs> by keeping bugging you. Uh, but I found that if you, if you follow, uh, the door is opening, uh, it, it works out and it works out probably better than you were thinking. It may not work out the way you were thinking, but it works out better as you look back. And the other thing is whatever you left doesn't become so important as it was before you get a piece about that change. And, uh, that's happened to me on so many occasions with working with ministries and scouts and other things that you, you just, you know, something that you have a passion for, and then God takes that away and pushes you into something else. So let's bring in our guest and, uh, let her explain how she got herself into this pickle. And, uh, <laughs> Dr. Kelly Graves, uh, you're on the hot spot and, and, rem and we're going to, um, uh, also ask you to give us the website and, the, and all that so people can donate. Sure. So thank you all for having me. And I just, just in the introductions, I feel such kindred spirits because that is exactly the journey of the Kellen foundation. It really was, you know, I was in academia for 16 years as a tenured professor and teaching about um, trauma and resilience and uh, equipping uh, students and graduate students with some of the tools on how to deliver community-based behavioral health services and, you know, passion areas of mine. And, and while I was doing that, I kept getting this whisper, whisper, whisper of, of, you know, something pulling me to think about things a little bit differently and potentially move from classroom to community. Um, and so when you think about it on paper, uh, a tenured position <laughs> to go into who knows what happens in nonprofit world? It's just it is it is it doesn't necessarily make sense on paper. But that whisper kept coming and kept coming and kept coming, um, and uh, I, I I couldn't ignore it any further. So after lots of conversation with my family and lots of prayer, um, I decided to leave my tenured position and launch the Kellen Foundation and kind of take the skills that I've been teaching and implement them in my own community and, and, and uh, kind of practice what I was preaching in the classroom um, and build a community center that is embedded with the latest practices of what works and best practices and evidence-based treatments and things to, to directly help my community. That's great. That is great. I, I think we met because of uh, our youth resilience summit mm -hmm. in North Carolina in uh <clears throat> Uh, I think Sharon Hurst was the first one to give us your name. And, you know, Odell was, we were talking before the, the show, Kelly lives probably a, a nine iron away from me. Yeah. She lives right <laughs> down the street. And I didn't know that. And, uh, and I met her a number of times. We kept running into each other and uh, saw her at the uh, future fund. Is that what it's called? 
Future Fund, yeah. Yep, community mm-hmm. Foundation. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that's an interesting organization, not the Community Foundation, but the Future Fund. It's basically uh, a group of young people that really there's not any individual that's super wealthy in it, but they pull their money together and mm-hmm. they kind of do a shark tank for nonprofits. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but they give you coaching and they give you a speech and you, you get to gut, you get votes from the audience and you get votes from the people in the foundation. And Kelly won last year with the Kellen mm-hmm. foundation. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, it, was, it was probably the most challenging speech I've ever given. I've, I've given speeches to, you know, hundreds of people before and, Sometimes they're 40 hours long, an entire week of conversation. And hands down, the three-minute talk that I had to give at that event was probably the most challenging I've ever given, even though it was only three minutes compared to hours and hours, to figure out how to share your message in such a condensed version and also bring some of your personal life into the talk is very different than a lot of other talks that I've that I've done. And so it was, it was a challenge and it was an amazing experience. Um, it, it taught me a lot of things about speaking and connecting with people. And, uh, I'm very thankful not only to the future fund, but to the, to the other participants that, you know, I've built relationships with along the way in the process. Yeah. That's some great networking. Now tell us what the Kellen foundation does. The Kellen foundation focuses on behavioral health. So we work with kids, families, and communities by delivering behavioral health services focused on three things, prevention, treatment, and healing. And so we, uh, we, are, uh, we have an outpatient clinic where we provide free services for those that are uninsured or underinsured. That's our target population is those that otherwise may not have access to care. Um, and we do a lot of community outreach and education around uh, mental health among kids and families, how to strengthen families, ways that families may need um, to uh, connect to information, to get some additional support, uh, with our goal being building healthy communities and supporting the, the growth of healthy communities across the board. Um, and so we're based in Greensboro. Uh, our, our home base is in Greensboro, but we have about 15 locations across the community. We're co-located in, in many different um, places. Um, and we also have a statewide uh, footprint with some of our projects being able to offer telehealth across the state. Um, and we do some work at the national level, too, with um, as a partner with the National Child Traumatic Stress Network um, and other projects, um, including Resilient NC and some of the other statewide efforts that are happening um, at the at the at the federal level. Yeah. And you're also uh, part of Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, Paul Newby of North Carolina, of his task force as an advisor. Um, and uh, he, he uh, why don't you explain a little bit about his task force and your role in it? Sure. So the task force by Chief Justice Newby is is an incredibly innovative opportunity for the state of North Carolina to bring together um, uh, key leadership, legislative bodies, uh, judges, DAs, subject matter experts, community members to really talk about how we um, reinvent the court system in particular and in building trauma-informed approaches in the court system um, with the goal of creating courts that are uh, more person-centered and uh, trauma-sensitive to the fact that the large majority of people that are in contact with the court systems have experienced traumas and adversities, um, and and raising the level of awareness for how that can impact a person so that court procedures, protocols, um, programs are more sensitive to that uh, and can respond better to the the needs that uh, individuals in the court system may, may have. 
Um, and so that particular group is developing all kinds of um, uh, innovative information, educational opportunities, trainings for uh, people of different roles. So DAs are, will have a training developed for them, the clerk's office, the magistrate's office. Um, so it's going to be broken out by roles so that we can deliver kind of content specific information for different court personnel. Um, and we're also, um, UNC is leading this particular charge, but developing uh, booklets uh, for kids and families that may walk into the court system. Um, kids in particular, knowing a little bit about um, like what to expect in a courtroom and who are all these people and trying to provide information that's family friendly um, if they're going to be involved in the court system so that they have a, a general um, knowledge and awareness of, of what's happening so that they're not caught off guard. Um, and they feel more prepared for the environment. Yes, very good. Odell? Well, Dr. H, again, thank you for joining us. When you were mentioning the book, I thought about a coloring book for small kids or something like that, because who's the judge? What does this person do? And mm -hmm. color them. But the main thing, a tenured professor, 16 years, mm -hmm. and the nudge, I yeah. mean, usually, and I don't know all of them, but professors I knew who are tenured, they're a different breed. They're like, listen, I'm in here. Unless I do something crazy, you can't get rid of me. And I can say what I want to do, do what I want to do, all this kind of good stuff. You gave up all that security. So talk to that, our listening audience who are struggling with the very thing you've done to yeah. help them make that, I call it leap of faith. Mm -hmm. I call it a faith journey, a faith mm -hmm. walk. Can you help them as much as you're willing to share because a lot of people are caught between, I know what God is calling me to do. Mm -hmm. However, I have this in my hand and I'm, I'm going to do this because I have obligations. I have families. I have whatever. I have my personal career because mm -hmm. I remember when I left corporate American business, a national sales guy to go start this thing called welfare reform. Even my brother who loves me dearly is like, I just don't understand it. Mm -hmm. Thank God my wife supported me. But I don't think she fully understood it the whole time. And I tried to explain it to her. And she asked me one question. She said, is this God or is it you? And she said, if it's God, I will follow you. But I know you. And if it's you and your ego, I don't want any part of it. And I said, baby, the best to my ability, I do believe this is God. And she said, OK, OK. So help someone, because that, that's a struggle, especially when you have family and obligations. Do you mind helping helping someone understand mm -hmm. how they can possibly do this in a successful way? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I, I have goosebumps as you're talking because it definitely was a leap of faith and it was a process. So I heard the whispers for a long time of like, do something new, try something new. And I'm like, no, that doesn't make sense on paper. And no, you know, being a person that, that came from a family that lived in poverty. I, I wanted that security. I wanted to know, like, I've got tenure, my family is good to go, but I kept feeling this pull and this pull to, to, to do something different. And I often talk about like, the job was comfortable. Academia, it, was, it was fine, it was comfortable. It fed my family, but it didn't feed my soul. Wow. It was something wow. That, that when I went home and laid my head on my pillow, that I felt like I'm building a legacy in this. And so a, a lot of the soul searching was when it's my time and I look back and I say, I wish I would have, or I wish I tried. I did. I don't want, I didn't want it to be, I wish I would have tried to see if this could have worked. 
if that whisper, that pull was actually something I was supposed to do. I didn't want to live with the regret of not trying it. Um, and, and similar to your experience, it didn't make a lot of sense to people that I talked to um, because of, you know, it's such a leap of faith, but I had the support of my husband and he was very much like, Hey, if you, if you feel like you're being called to do it, like we'll figure it out. We'll, 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 we'll figure it out and we'll make it happen. The other thing that I think um, even in that, the planner in me was cautious. So I kind of felt like for a while I had one foot in and one foot out and like testing the waters until the point where I either had to jump or retreat. And that was the point where I started thinking about what would I tell my children to do? Like if my, if my daughter at the time, I had one daughter when I, when I first made the transition to, to this role, um, what would I tell her to do? Would I tell her to follow your heart, follow your dreams? If you feel like you're supposed to do this, do it. Or would I tell her to play it safe? And so I tried to kind of flip it and think like, what advice would I give my children? Um, and, and, and tried to follow that advice. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't also mention that there was what I, what we refer to a lot as the power of one in terms of one person in your life that really is the person you can lean on. Um, outside of, of my husband, um, there was a woman, a woman named Lindy Beauregard, and she was a mentor for me. Uh, and a friend, and she was diagnosed with stage four cancer. Mm -hmm. And we had worked together a lot in the arena of, of behavioral health programming when I was at the university. And she said, Hey, we start a nonprofit. Let's, let's get this legacy. Let's keep this legacy going. Cause she was terminal. And, um, and I said, sure, we can do something small. We can run something small. And this is where I had one foot in and one foot out. I'm thinking it's going to be a small program that we run on the side. Um, and I said, you, you let's, you know, let's think of the mission together. You make the name. So that's what Kellen comes from is Kelly and Lindy. Wow. Um, the legacy wow. of kind of giving back to the community. And so um, when she passed, we, you know, we started with nothing. And when she passed, she made a $10,000 donation to the organization. So while that, that is a significant gift, and relatively, you know, small in the scheme of nonprofit needs, right? But it wasn't the size of the gift. It was the it was the trust in in the and the belief in what it could become that was really that really pulled me. That was my final step to say, you know what? This particular push, person believed in this mission enough. I'm already feeling the whispers. I'm feeling the pull. It's time. It was kind of that thing that it's time. So I, I I took the jump and have not looked back yet. Wow, great story, great story. You know, um, the uh, when you took that first step, um, obviously finances is a big deal in a nonprofit and in your personal life because mm -hmm. you left the security of health insurance and benefits mm -hmm. and a decent paycheck. Um, how did you feel when you're going through that? a little terrified to be very honest and, and um, forward facing, because even though we were really small, we started with just very few people. Um, the passion in the work covered up the fear, like passion won in that, in that battle. Yep. Um, and the belief that we were doing the right thing ever since we've opened our doors, I can't fully explain it, but things are falling in place. And I believe that as, as we're working to try to do the right things, to follow what we feel like we're called to do, 
that doors are opening that need to be opened and doors are closing that need to be closed. And, and our, my hope as, as the leader of this organization is that I can, can continue to listen to those whispers of, you know, move here, don't move here, go here. Like that discernment is really important for me. Um, and so um, I think as that, as, as we've opened our doors in 2016, so we're relatively new um, to be able to grow this quickly. I feel like we're on the right path. Um, and I know we've made a ton of mistakes so far. And I think that's part of the growing process. Um, but we, we talk about um, kind of that leap of faith and the, the journey of the organization. But also um, one of our, our annual events is, is themed Journey to Brave. Um, and, and it's part of what we're asking our clients to do and the people that we're working with to step out of their comfort zone and to explore and talk about things that are really hard to talk about, um, things that they have been through, experiences that they have had. Um, and so I kind of equate the process of the growth of the organization to, to also a leap of faith for, for what we're asking people to do when, when we partner with them and when we work with them. And um, kids who are talking about stuff that are just part of our nightmares, you know, like things that we don't, we don't want to hear or see kids and families go through. Um, so we're asking them to kind of talk through it and explore it. And um, so it's a journey to brave for them as well. And so I think the whole process kind of takes a leap of faith um, from, from the leadership and organizational level to the families and kids that we're working with as well. Yeah. You know, I, we we went to the task force last week and they had um, presenters and uh, one that kind of jumped out at me was the nurse from Wake Forest Baptist. And she told a story and uh, it, it, it put into light the practical application of the things you're teaching people, mm-hmm. both, both the people in the program and the people part of the program. And uh, I like to relate the story. I know I've got half the facts wrong, uh, and so if, if I get too far off base, Kelly, would you just tell me, no, no, it was this way. Uh, the, uh, cause my wife listens to this program and she, uh, tells me that didn't really happen the way you just said, and, uh, <laughs> can you imagine that? <laughs> and she's listening uh, now. I'm not going to say anything on that one. <laughs> Adele, you want to comment on that? No comment. No comment. <laughs> so. So I think her name was Ann, but I could be wrong on that too. But uh, she told a story that she was in the hospital and this lady came in uh, in a car wreck. It was during COVID. And uh, obviously isolation because of COVID, they couldn't let people in. And her husband came irate. He was just all charged up. He's worried about his wife. And his wife was demanding that he come up. She was ready to leave the hospital. She did not want to be in the hospital. She wanted to be with her husband and, and he wanted to be with her. And so they, they decided that they would take his temperature. And if, if he didn't have a temperature, they would leave him up. So they met him at the door and uh, he said, you are not taking my temperature. I'm, I have a right to see my wife. And it just kept escalating to the point security was called in police were called in, And uh, he was getting more and more anxious and excited because his wife was separated she was getting excited it was a very very dramatic situation and and escalating and finally one of the one of the nurses and it might have been her that had been trained in uh, adverse childhood experiences and 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 things like that she she finally got the man off to the side and she said uh can you tell me in a very calm voice can you tell me why you don't want your temperature taken he said, when I was a young boy, 
my father would put a gun to my head. And that, that temperature thing looks like a gun. And I'm traumatized. So they had to scour the hospital, find a thermometer that goes under your tongue. And they found one and he took his temperature and he was fine. He went up and saw his wife. Those are the practical things that Kelly's group is teaching people. And, you know, you if that nurse hadn't been trained, they would have said, you know, this is just being a guy's being a jerk. But he really had trauma in his life. And when he walked through that door, nobody knew the trauma he had until the one who was trained took him off to the side and asked him, help me understand. Kind of like finding common ground. And unfortunately, the general population doesn't know how common these kinds of experiences are. So, I mean, when we look at 30 to 40 percent of kids and families that have experienced a trauma in the last year, when we look at statistics like one in four girls will experience a sexual assault by the time they graduate high school and one in six boys. Um, when we look at the fact that there's 30 million plus children living in violent homes right now across the United States, I mean, the statistics, the statistics are much higher than we would want to think about and that our general population generally um, is aware of. And so the, the likelihood of interacting with people with trauma histories, whether it's ourselves directly, family members, or people that we are connected to is almost 100% that we're going to interact with people that have have trauma and ACE history. Yeah. Well, Kelly, before I ask you another question, can you give uh, the listening audience your nonprofit information and how to contact you again if they want to make donations? Sure. So we're at uh, we're with the Kellen Foundation, and it's www.kellenfoundation.org. Um, and there's a donate tab right on the front page of our website that you can make donations to. Um, and uh, we also have lots of the programmatic information on our website. You can also email at info at kellenfoundation.org, or you can also call us at 336-429-5600. Um, and we can, we're happy to, to provide any information. Uh, we also can take referrals. Uh, if you, if you know some, if you or someone that you know might be interested in accessing services, we can take referrals on our website. There's an online referral link, um, or you could call that same number and express your interest in services. Uh, we serve, we just actually uh, hot off the press is our 2022 annual report. Um, and we served right at 12,000 people last year that were wow. uninsured. Um, and we're on target, I imagine, with our growth to, to hit or exceed that number in 2023. Um, so we, we are here for people from the ages of two to 92 and everything in between, the whole lifespan. Um, and the other thing is, is we, um, you know, speaking of the, the academic world to now, uh, when I reflect back on that, I think all of those stages were training grounds for what we're doing now. Be I say that because that science-based practice is so important. So the 12,000 people that are receiving services through our organization are getting the best evidence-based treatment available across the country. Um, we have multiple specialty clinics that we run in, in partnership with UCLA, Harvard, um, and wow. Duke and several other organizations where our staff have been specifically trained in the best models available for addressing trauma and violence in the community. Um, and uh, I do wanna say that it's not just trauma and violence that we address, depression, anxiety, suicidality, et cetera, are all things that we can assist with. Our specialty just tends to be more around trauma and trauma-informed care. Um, 
But feel free to call those numbers or visit our website, and we're happy to assist however we can. How do you spell Kellen Foundation? K-E-L-L-I-N-F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N. Kellen Foundation. There you go, folks. Uh, it's not Kellen, it's Kellen. Bill, you know, and Dr. Graves, one of the things that I was interesting to me is the fact that we had a young lady on and she was talking about abuse and neglect. Now we are used to the term child abuse. Can Mm -hmm. you explain to us the neglect part of it also? Because Mm -hmm. when you start talking about micro, macro, and coming out of the classroom, all those theories that one may have in the classroom if or the academy may fall apart if we're not ready when they hit, you know, the streets or where the people are. So the whole abuse, people understand the blue abuse and maybe they do understand neglect. But can you show us how that's married, please? Sure. So neglect really kind of um, stems from the absence of attending to the needs of children. So that might be failing to provide adequate clothing, um, food, shelter, medical care. Um, But also, you know, it starts to tip into addressing their psychological and mental needs as well, Um, because even young children have mental health related um, uh, needs and social emotional learning and things like that. So neglect really is the absence of of a caregiver's ability to attend to those developmental needs um, in a way that negatively impacts their their growth. Um, But you bring up a good point, too, in terms of we use the word trauma a lot and abuse and neglect kind of fall underneath that. But trauma really is is very broad. It it is any event that's experienced as harmful or threatening that can have lasting adverse effects. So it might be child abuse or neglect, but it can also be a car accident or it can be bullying or homelessness or um, a, a messy parental divorce. Anything that that person experiences as harmful or threatening. And those symptoms are lasting beyond, um, beyond typically beyond 30 days. Um, so that ongoing impact is really what we're what we're focusing on. How do we make sure, because I came from public housing, I came from a very, very, very poor family, a single divorced mother for, how do we make sure that trained individuals who may not have had the experience of ever being poor before, they mistake neglect for poverty? Because mm-hmm. a lot of times poverty is poverty and the caregiver loves the person all that kind of stuff but they just don't have the ways and the means because we don't want to penalize or take away people children because they're poor yes and that i really appreciate you bringing that up because the the spirit of neglect is more an intentional um um dismissiveness of a child's needs versus what you're talking about where a, a parent or caregiver is is trying to provide but poverty has created some barriers to being able to do that. And that is the exact kind of family that, that we are very passionate about um, and that community resources and community organizations, I believe need to wrap our arms around um, and assist because the, the neglect in that case is, 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 it's not neglect in that case, in my opinion, because we're looking at families that are trying to, to meet those needs and struggling because of income versus um, a caregiver that is not attending at all to those needs and, right. and doesn't have the desire to. Um, and I think that's a really important distinction. Thank you, Bill. Uh, you know, as, as we get near the end of our podcast here, um, you know, I, 
can you give us an example of, of someone that was without a name, of course, uh, something that, that, that kind of jumps out that you can share with the audience? Sure. Um, so, oh, lots of examples. But the one that comes to mind in particular is a, a mom with uh, multiple kids who we worked with for quite a while. And she had been in her own treatment for for she described almost a decade and a half. Um, and because of the specialty clinics and the treatments uh, and the multi-generational approach that we adhere to, um, she shared when she was when she was finishing up her treatment here that she finally feels unstuck, that she had tried so many things for so long and has felt and had felt so stuck that for the first time in over a decade, she feels unstuck. Um, and that to me is a powerful phrase. She felt like she saw a path forward and she could she felt confident taking those steps forward for herself and her family. Um, and so, and, and that's really what we're all about. The families that we're working with have amazing skills and talents and abilities. And sometimes we just get stuck. Um, we all get stuck sometimes. And so that, that the, the honor and privilege of being able to connect with people in the community to help them feel unstuck so that they can keep, you know, moving towards their goals is really what we're all about. Um, and we're excited in this, in this upcoming year because of the, the demand for, for services and our growth. Um, coming up this year, we're gonna be expanding our, um, our base. So we, we are uh, thrilled to have been gifted a building um, and it's about a 40,000 square foot building. Um, and we are really excited about brainstorming with the community about how we could utilize this space to provide multiple services under one roof um, and to really meet the community needs in, in a way that um, that is innovative and really focused on prevention and treatment in our community. We have an amazing array of crisis-specific services in our community, uh, and that's a good thing. We have those crisis-driven services, but what we're, what we're really looking forward to in 2023 is creating kind of that location where really the focus is on prevention and treatment. How do we help support families before they get into crisis? Um, and so that's a big focus area for us in 2023. Wow. That's a 40,000 square feet. That's a lot of space. Mm -hmm. the, We're really uh, looking the, forward to it. The years, you've been to the Hutchinson Center. I think it's called down in Wilmington. Oh, the Harrelson Center? Harrelson. Mm -hmm. Harrelson, mm -hmm. yes. Yes. Um, that That's just unbelievable services that they have. Uh, it's the old jail. They converted yes. into uh, something that provides services to people that may have come right out of the courthouse, which is right next door. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's and, and it's very possible, you know, as we're having conversations with the community and strategic planning that, that this will become very similar to like a Harrelson center in, in Greensboro. Well, the, uh, my wife's involved in community connectors and mm -hmm. that's what the police department, police chief, they just received a pretty big grant mm -hmm. and uh, you may, I, I may want to get you together with her and their group and, and that might be something to take a look at. I, I know they wanted to take a road trip down to see the Harrelson Center mm -hmm. to understand it, because once once you see it, it's it's much, it, it's pretty impressive. What yes. they did. Um, you know, the other thing, uh, just to switch gears for a minute, when we were at the the uh, task force meeting last week, something that stuck out that uh, uh, District Attorney Ben David said that, and I don't remember what the percentage is, but if you follow this a, ch a child in their life that they graduate from high school. They get a job and keep in it. They get married and have kids after being married. If you follow that sequence, you have a 90 something percent chance of not being incarcerated, not having a major issue later on in life. Do you remember, you remember that 
Can you can you clean that up for me? Because I'm I'm big bits and pieces. Yeah. So he was referring to the success sequence. Um, and I don't remember the exact percentage, but I know it was over 80%. And it was uh, the the 80% um, likelihood of not living in poverty and not being involved in the criminal justice system if you follow the success sequence. Um, but I don't remember the exact percentage either, Bill. Yeah, that's now I feel good. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, we're getting near the end here, and I know you have a hard stop. Uh, so we always ask our guests, how do you find common ground? Well, that is a great question. I think, I think for us um, and for me, it's listening, um, hearing where I think listening first and talking later, hmm. um, hearing where people are feeling success and where they're struggling. And instead of for us at, at the Kellen Foundation, not necessarily creating duplication of different programs and services, but listening to, to what's needed and trying to be gap fillers. Um, and trying to identify the needs um, so that our passion of helping the community maps on to what the community is saying it's needed. And together we can come up with, you know, that common ground of, of, of meeting needs um, and supporting the community. Very good. Odell, last question. You get it. Yes, Dr. Graves, can you, first thing, let me say to you and your team, thank you. And you in particular, thank you for following that nudge. I would say that's God, but, you know, thank you for following that nudge. Um, can you share one more time and spell the name of your group to those who want to help? Because the good thing about our audience, they're loyal and they always want to help find common ground. So can you share that with them one more time, please? Sure. It's Kellen Foundation, www.kell.com. I N foundation.org. Good. Bill? Go. Well, uh, we're getting ready to close. I just want to say one thing to my brother. Uh, we're on TV tomorrow uh, for the Black and White series. So I'm looking forward to, to see that. And uh, uh, thank you, uh, Dr. Graves and Kelly, uh, for being on our podcast and informing our audience about your foundation and what it's doing for America. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Find Bill and Odell online at thecommonground.show. This podcast is a production of BG Ad Group. Darren Sutherland, executive producer. Doug Harding, creative director. Jacob Sutherland, director. Producers Jason Gentarola and Matt Golden. And Jinrei Zhang, video producer. All rights reserved. This podcast is brought to you by Yes Weekly, the triad's largest circulated and best read weekly magazine. You can also find us online at yesweekly.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yes Weekly, your trusted news leader for local arts, entertainment, music, food, and more for nearly 18 years. Whether you're a big, medium, or small business, managing and growing the bottom line is important. Focus CFO brings the experience and financial acumen of a Fortune 100 chief financial officer to your company at a fraction of the cost. PL help, internal reporting processes, or any business transitions or events. Focus CFO will help you and your team have a CFO in your company's back pocket. Focus CFO. Learn more at focuscfo.com.